Good morning and welcome to the Murky Cloud. My name is Niels Goldstein and I'm your host for this program. Uh, today's topic is on borrowed time. I woke up this morning early. Uh, it was dark, about 4 o'clock, and I had this stream of consciousness. And I thought, I need to get this down somehow. I need to record what it was that I was thinking about. So I had this stuff all set up for podcasting and I figured that this would be a good way to share uh, a lot of what I'm thinking about uh, with the rest of the world. And <coughs> just to give you a little bit of background, I've been in IT for a better part of 30 years. I am Chief Cloud Architect for Teradata Marketing Applications, though the opinions of this program are entirely my own and do not reflect those of my employer. I've been thinking a lot lately about the changing nature of work, the workforce, uh, specifically in IT, and how uh, the changing nature of what cloud is bringing to uh, to IT and, and how that's changing uh, the way we deliver and deploy and provision and service customers, uh, specifically customers of software as a service or any other type of service that is being provided over the internet and I was thinking about you know the changes in my career and how uh, I have seen a, a, a huge difference between uh, how things were done in the late 80s early 90s and how things are changing to today it is it is very clear to me and 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 hopefully through the through the course of this program uh, you will understand uh, a lot of what I'm talking about, and you'll get a feel for, uh, you know, the changing nature of work. And specifically, when I'm talking about the changing nature of work, I'm talking about the things that IT staff and people do at companies. Now, I'm going to classify companies in kind of a couple of different different ways, right? There's you've got the legacy companies, and these are companies where IT provides, you know, a lot of the basic services. They they are responsible for your email, for your network, for your uh, VPN. Uh, they provide uh, laptop, desktop, uh, all kinds of services associated with uh, your, you doing your job uh, on a day to day basis. And you know, there was there was this change about two decades ago where. Uh, people started to feel more empowered and feel more frustrated at the same time by IT. And this this uh, change in the industry started to happen uh, where services were being provided to people and they could go outside the normal channels for acquiring uh, what they thought were what they needed for their job. And, and whether it be uh, uh, Dropbox or Gmail or uh, you know just going to the web and, and doing doing searches on Google <coughs> people were people were able to expand um, you know what they brought to the table with respect to their day-to-day -day in and out jobs whether it be word processing or uh, spreadsheets reporting things of that nature and there was also a change kind of in the manufacturing industry uh, in the 70s, in the early 80s. Lean manufacturing came around, the Kanban method, 
uh, you, you've probably heard of, you know, the success at Toyota and how they changed and empowered their employees to um, be more productive and, uh, you know, contribute on a, on a meaningful, in a meaningful way to the production of the car. And uh, some of those, some of those tenants, some of those principles have kind of been brought over to the way people do their job uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. A lot of a lot of folks have reached out to um, w what's termed a shadow IT, right? That's the ability to do things on your own or through uh, other service providers that that you feel that you're not getting uh, from your your employer or from your IT department. In the early, uh, I guess, early to mid-90s, there was kind of this shift away from mainframe computing to uh, mid-sized servers and things that, that people were doing um, on, on Intel-based multiprocessors. Um, sequent mainframe computers were, uh, you know, were the rage kind of thing where you had a large number of 386 processors in a box and, and the work was kind of um, divvied up amongst those processors and, and there was a change that, that empowered, uh, empowered uh, businesses to, to start to take advantage of uh, rapid deployment, rapid development. There, there was a big push in the industry in the early 90s uh, called CASE, Computer Aided Software Engineering, where you could have somebody who understood what the business needed, uh, use uh, not necessarily a simple, but it was certainly a complex process, but they could go in and define the business rules and, and create an application. They could generate an application with forms and reports, and, and this is all kind of pre-web, pre-internet kind of stuff. Uh, Oracle was big in the day. Uh, there was a number of other vendors that, that certainly played their part and uh, it 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 allowed it allowed you know non IT professionals uh, business analysts uh, to kind of step in and say hey these are these are some of the some of the processes that we need to change within business to uh, to more you know uh, rapidly address some of the gaps that they perceived in, in, uh, in what was in, in what was being provided in, in reports and in forms and, and so forth. The data analysis started to take off in a big way. Uh, business intelligence, decision support systems, data warehouses, uh, uh, you know, were the were the big rage in the early '90s to mid '90s. Uh, certainly, the Y2K. Um, you know, changed the face of the industry. A lot of people entered uh, entered the IT business. There's a lot of bespoke or custom software de being developed. Uh, a lot of the older mainframe processes were looked at. They were they were inadequate or had deficiencies that had to be addressed uh, in terms of how they kept Y2K related data. You know, anything that had to do with date and timestamps was a big was a big deal because we were they just didn't plan for needing more digits um, and and there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, 
consternation in the industry uh, as that as that Y2K came along. But something else also came along uh, ab- about the same time, late 90s, early 2000. Um, and and I, I, I took part in, in some of this. Uh, uh, I was at Oracle at the time, and I saw a large number of uh, IT system administrators and database administrators scurrying about every week. Um, you know, provisioning of new services was slow. And and there was this perfect venue, if you will, for um, for for rapid deployment. And if you're not too familiar with the software industry, you know uh, a big part of of the sales cycle is associated with providing demos and providing uh, user workspaces where people can come in and 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 try before they buy. And and. Even more specific, there was a uh, a venue by which uh, <coughs> there was a lot of uh, iterations. It's kind of like evolution, if you think of it this this way. Uh, you know, those things that have short generations, you know, short lifespans, uh, they tend to evolve very quickly. Um, you know, if you look at insects and and things that have uh, ephemeral lives, uh, a, a rapid change in their environment, they can adapt to it because uh, five or six or ten generations, and what was working for them before may not be working for them now, and those members of their society that didn't adapt and change died out, didn't reproduce, and those that did learn from uh, from the past or, or they simply found their niche within, within the environment, they were able to uh, reproduce, and they adapted. And I'm going to use the Oracle University uh, experience that I had as as kind of a primer on this, and that Oracle University at the time in in the late '90s uh, had to rapidly provision. You know, they had to provision. They did weren't wasn't exactly rapid, but they had to provision a large number of fresh instances, fresh servers, uh, fresh workspaces for uh, a cream of new uh, cream of the crop new in students that were coming into their classrooms uh, every Monday morning. And they had an army of system admins and database administrators who would sit there and, uh, you know, to some degree manually recreate the environments that these students would use. And very much like evolution, you know, this was, this was a very rapid-paced environment. There was a change that was coming every single week, and it was the new schedule that would come out. And... As the products were being changed and being adapted, the team that had to provision these new servers uh, was constantly uh, working to change their processes every single week. And I I left, I was an instructor, and I left uh, Oracle University as an instructor, and I became a database administrator, and I started working in that environment. And I I was thinking to myself from my earlier days in my career, um, hey, we work for a database company. Why why are we doing all of these manual things every single week? Why aren't we generating or creating the code to rebuild these servers um, from 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 the database? Right, uh, SQL can generate shell scripts. It can generate text files. And over a a, a period of months, you know, I I 
worked with my peers and 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 uh, a few smart people, uh, many smart people, and said, let's generate all of the scripts that are needed to rebuild these servers from a database rather than having an army of system administrators sitting there typing in all these commands. And I stored a lot of that stuff in an Oracle database, and it, it kind of became uh, the, the, this, the, the brains of the organization, right? Uh, VMware has this thing, they call it the data-driven data center, right? It, so they, they, they are storing metadata that describes the connections between the pieces and the parts. And uh, before they came up with it, I coined the phrase metadata-driven data center, and I built a metadata repository that stored all of the information that was necessary to build servers. And around this, an ecosystem grew up over a few years, uh, and we started to replace uh, our, our Sun servers with, with uh, microprocessor-based 386, 486, Pentium, uh, Intel-based Dell and HP uh, 1 and 2U servers, and we pixie-booted them. So they didn't know what they were going to be for until right before the class. And they were sent a signal that said, hey, build yourself to be a database. And, and specifically, uh, you know, install this software. And that software started to get packaged and delivered to those machines. In 2002 or three, 2002, I guess it was, um, the very first hypervisor was released. It was an open source product. It was called Zen. And it also supported Pixie Boot. And so we changed over our rapid provisioning methodology from... Um, from pixie booting individual servers to standing up hypervisors on these servers and creating virtual machines as we needed to. So here is a here's an example back to my evolution, right? That over a over a relatively short period of time, the nature of the work that Oracle University had to do to provision servers changed, and it changed from uh, a lot of manual effort. Uh, and it became automated, uh, automated quality control, verifying that the services were built as they were supposed to uh, for the courses, and even even the communication with the instructors and the students uh, to tell them how to log in to their new services was automated, uh, and uh, it was a it was a pretty profound change for Oracle University to go from a rather labor-intensive manual process uh, to an automated process. And because we could hone our skills every single week, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of problems, a lot of things that didn't work in the beginning, uh, but we had many, many opportunities to make them right, to improve and to, to change the process so that we learned from the things that didn't work and we didn't repeat them and we learned new things and we tried new things and we failed very rapidly, but we recovered very rapidly. Uh, and, uh, you know, to this day, uh, you know, when I, when I talk with some of my friends that are still at Oracle, uh, you know, they still use a lot of the same tenants, a lot of the same lessons learned uh, from those years. Okay, so what does this have to do with on borrowed time? <coughs> I've spent the last 15 minutes or so 
uh, kind of regaling you with the story of how um, one organization kind of changed the nature of IT uh, to meet the needs of the business, and and I'm I've been I've been looking at the changes that have that have occurred over the last decade or so uh, as we've gone from. Uh, provisioning and companies owning and operating their own data centers to infrastructure as a service, co-location facilities, VMware certainly has become a big player in the industry. And, you know, we've had this proliferation of virtual machines. Uh, you know, there's a big problem at a lot of companies. They have too many virtual machines and they still don't know what they all do. Metadata still is germane to the, to the, to the conversation. Uh, you know, you, you, you need a place where you can go and you can find this information uh, and you can let it drive your business. But you've got to capture that information. You've got to record it. Uh, you've got to design it. Every now and then I give a, I give a, a kind of an, a back of the napkin uh, speech about, you know, the changing nature of work, especially for IT professionals. And I, I draw this little triangle on a, on a whiteboard, and on the bottom, you know, it's very broad, and it goes up to the peak at the top, uh, which is a point. At the bottom, I, I say, you know, here is the labor force that we have, uh, and uh, uh, a lot of them are extremely skilled at doing manual tasks. They can uh, very easily uh, uh, rebuild the server. They can They can troubleshoot based on an entry in a log file. They can look at uh, things that are that are uh, that are broken and fix them. Uh, they can they can respond, uh, but it takes time because it's a manual process. And then I, I draw this kind of like a, a layer cake, if you will, within this within this triangle. And on the bottom, I, I, I segment it off and I say, here are your here are your average skilled uh, IT workforce, and and they can do manual tasks very efficiently. And there's a large population that we can draw from for that manual labor. And then on top of that, I draw a, a, a slice, about a, a quarter of the, of the pyramid, and I say, okay, this, this bottom uh, quarter uh, of this pyramid is the manual labor. The next quarter above that is automation. And, and you notice that if you're drawing on a triangle, it's getting narrower. Well, that reflects the nature of the skill sets and the understanding of the labor force to understand how to automate, what it means to automate, uh, and, and uh, the, the population that we can draw upon for that automation is smaller than the bottom of the pyramid uh, where people can do manual labor. And within that automation, you know, th there's a variety of ways of getting people to that. Uh, I worked with uh, our HR department at Oracle, and we changed the nature of our uh, merit increase and performance program. Uh, we, we put a lot of emphasis on those behaviors for the labor force that we wanted that um, incented them to improve processes, not just repeat them, right? So an L1, a first-line tech person, should be able to follow instructions. Right? That's a pretty basic nature of, of, of what we expect them to do. They, they can follow a script. Uh, they can ask the, the end user 
Uh, is it plugged in? Did you turn it on? Yeah, right. They can work through those things and they can they can figure out the basic stuff. But that's manual. Then you've got this this cream of the crop of the L1 uh, that that you can incent to say uh, uh, improve the process, and you can say, okay, so great. So in order to move to L2, you have to document how you fix something. And you need to make it easier for other people in in your in your uh, in your labor category, your L1 labor category. You can improve or be a force magnifier for those people, and help them improve their their ability to provide service to the end user. Great. Okay. So now we've moved up into this next bottom of the of the of the next bit of, bit of the the platform. In, in order to in order to automate something, you've got to understand what the problem is. And those people who can document that, uh, who can record that information and save it for, uh, for others to use, for others to uh, 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 learn from, they have the beginnings of the skills that you need to automate things. You now you just need to provide them with a, a tool set and a mentality to say, okay, it's one thing to find a problem or to have a problem reported to you it's it's another thing to document how you fix that problem it's yet another and a higher level skill uh, an order of magnitude improvement if you can automate the solution so that that problem never occurs again and once you've once you've automated that problem now you know y you can move on to other problems and so that one person who's learned how to automate a fix for something hopefully will be uh, and will gain the skills that are necessary to, to automate the next problem out of existence. And so now you've got this army of people who have learned how to automate things. And if you look back to my Toyota uh, example from earlier in the program, you understand or, or you have some glimmer of understanding that you know they didn't just uh, improve the manual processes. Yes, they did. I mean, that was certainly a big part of what they did, but, but they also in introduced automation, just-in-time delivery of parts and, and, and services. Uh, they, they actually provided business value in helping the business move forward faster. And, and those folks in the IT industry who've moved into that second rung of my, of my triangle, uh, you know, they're, they're adding business value. But the next, the next pyramid chunk or slice, if you will, is automated automation. Uh, and, and now I start to lose more and more people because, you know, the pyramid is getting, is getting narrower as you move up toward the top. And the number of people who can understand uh, the, the complex systems that you need to have in place to automate automation you know, that, that pool of applicants, that pool of people that have those skills are uh, e even, even fewer. But now you start to look at things like instead of being reactive when the problem or an incident occurs within an organization, you can start to be proactive. You can start looking for patterns of failure uh, and, and uh, do some predictive risk analysis on it and say, hey, these things should not happen anymore. Okay, so so take for example, uh, you know the the cloud e example that I was talking about. Now, if you are an IT leader and you're looking at providing business value to a service provider, 
what kind of data points do you think you might want to look at? Well, you want to look at failure patterns. You want to look at those things that break or those things that go wrong, and you want to eliminate them from, from your food chain. So if you find that a particular vendor of hard drives is having a tough quarter and uh, they're selling their drives on the cheap, uh, you might be tempted to go out and buy them, but if you look at their failure rates, you might change your mind. Uh, because failure, uh, you know, above a certain level, uh, introduces labor and time and things that you have to fix on a regular basis. So you might say, you know what, that, that vendor is not the one that I want to choose right now. I want to choose one that has higher reliability. And you start looking at those reliability factors within your within your environment and and those smarter people that are in the top second quarter of the of the pyramid can look at that data that you've collected and say hey th these are these are probably not things that we want to do uh, or if we are going to do them uh, we certainly want to try to uh, automate uh, the the life cycle so we'll have spares on hand or the system will automatically phone home and 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 tell the vendor hey you got to replace your hard drives um, or power supplies or whatever whatever the component or piece might be and now you start to move up the scale of okay we're, we're no longer reactive uh, to to what the customer is expecting in, in terms of high service we're being proactive and we're letting them know that you know we've detected a problem We've fixed it before the customer even sees it. And then you can move up to the very top of my pyramid. And, and, and this is the one that's, that's probably the most challenging to explain. And, and, and the folks that fill that are a really rarefied breed. Uh, these, are, these are people that um, not only understand uh, the nature of IT work, Right from the manual to the automated to going from reactive to proactive, uh, but they can uh, uh, design and explain systems of systems, systems of systems that work together. So if you look at if you look at Netflix, for example, you know they based a lot of what they did on microservices, uh, microservices that were wholly self-contained, uh, that were self-aware. Uh, that relied on a discovery service so that they could go out and find um, sources of information. Uh, they could communicate or they could say, hey, this, this web server's failed, start another one for me. Um, you know, they, they, they are the pinnacle of service delivery in that those microservices and those components uh, you know, their, their modus operandi is to guarantee that the service can be delivered to the customer. And when we start looking at um, legacy IT, we realize that it has, as you move up that triangle, it has less and less in common uh, with what's necessary. So, on borrowed time, wh what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at the skill sets and, and uh, what a lot of people work on today in companies, uh, back to my shadow IT uh, comments from earlier in the program, uh, you might be wondering what's his point. Well, my point is is that you know we hire a lot of smart people that know and are 
are subject matter experts on a particular technology or a particular uh, aspect of delivering service from IT, whether it be a network engineer, uh, a systems engineer, a database engineer, uh, or administrators uh, of those se same systems. Um, we also hire strategists. We also hire uh, security people. We look at we look at risk. Um, but really, the problem is is that you're not looking at it from a service delivery perspective. Uh, you're looking at a how do I keep my factory running? Uh, and, and you've got to be looking at how do I deliver service to the customer. And the service to the customer is really not predicated on the latest and greatest firewall or the latest and greatest network switch. Um, yes, you can look at that if you're, if you're trying to deliver those things, but most organizations do not have the depth in their, in their own houses to provide those levels of service that our customers are becoming accustomed to and need. Uh, you just, you can't find those people, you can't afford them, uh, they're, they're not where you want them to be, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're difficult to manage uh, because the kinds of things that they need to be working on are not necessarily the things that you remember, right? There's, there's a lot of nostalgia in this industry and, and in reality, I don't want a, an architect or a software designer uh, who thinks about things as they were. Uh, if you go off and you poach uh, the top end people from a competitor, uh, you're, you're, you're only aspiring to be as good as that competitor. You're, you're not aspiring to be better. And in reality, you've got to change the nature of work and the labor and so a lot of these organizations, a lot of these people are living on borrowed time. Uh, you know, I, I work in an organization that is, that is making the transition from legacy monolithic software to software as a service, cloud offerings. And, and, and it boggles my mind um, that, that, you know, every conversation uh, about expanding capacity, expanding the, our capability to deliver service uh, is predicated on buying more hardware, uh, you know, and 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 the 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 managers are hiring more people that are like them, uh, as opposed to looking for people that are not, looking for people that bring that higher order of discipline, higher order of thinking to the organization, uh, that are higher up on that pyramid than that than at the bottom, and so. How do we help our How do we help our brethren and and sisters in in the IT business? Um, and and one of the one of the big challenges that I have is that people become uh, slaves to their certi certifications. Right. So you've got somebody who really knows VMware, really knows Oracle, really knows SQL Server, really knows Dell hardware. And they become married to the technology because their self-worth is based upon the certificates that they have hanging on the wall. Well, those certificates are a remnant of the past. We talked about shadow IT, people going after those services that they feel they can't get from IT. Well, yes, you've, you've transformed your IT organization and you're able to deliver services faster, but there's still somebody faster than you. 
Um, you know, I, I don't I don't care how critical it is that you've got a project that you've got to get hardware for. Uh, you look at the cost associated with hiring the right people, buying the right hardware, getting it stood up and designed, and all the while you're forgetting that there are public cloud providers out there who can provide service very quickly on demand. Uh, they have reached certain economies of scale uh, that uh, most traditional IT shops can only dream about because they don't buy servers um, by the truckload. Uh, they buy them by the rack. Or they don't buy them by the data center. They buy them by the rack. Um, and and these other these other public providers are now buying things by the data center, or buying clusters of data centers. Uh, their their order of magnitude of efficiency is so much higher than most IT organizations. Uh, it 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 just is not economical. Um, in this day and age to keep buying data centers and keep buying servers. Yes, I know, I understand, I hear I hear a lot from people that we don't trust the cloud, uh, we're not sure that um, you know our data is going to be secure or safe there. Well, to that, I, I, I don't have many counters to that other than uh, faith-based. Um, you know, those those big providers cannot afford to stay in business uh, if they are not secure. Uh, you've seen the news, you've heard about Target, you've heard about other organizations that have had major breaches of security, even the U.S. government. Um, and security and risk assessment is clearly a high... Uh, high-value proposition for most organizations. You, you've got to look at, at those things. But you're leaving your cards on the table. You're, you're leaving things behind, the ability to rapidly provision, to learn. Back to my evolution example. Uh, if it takes you six months and it's, and it's a, it's a, a hair-pulling experience to get the capital expenditure approved, to buy another rack of servers, to get the requisitions in place to hire uh, a larger workforce to manage your newly acquired hardware, um, you know you're 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 not iterating fast enough to keep up with the changes that are happening. Security is something that you can learn. It's something that you can improve, and and it is uh, like uh, like dealing with criminals and uh, investigative services. I mean, we have DNA today. We can, we can track things. We can, we can find and we can, we can prosecute crimes uh, today that we couldn't 20 or 30 years ago. And, you know, the security in the IT industry is, is always going to be behind the smart minds that are out there that are trying to steal your data, your intellectual property, um, so we've built into the system this concept of risk, uh, and and sometimes we become too risk averse to realize that, you know, if we iterate our changes rapidly, we learn from them. If we're adaptive, we learn from them. Uh, we can deploy cloud-based solutions in public clouds like 
like Amazon, like Azure, like B Cloud Air, uh, HP's uh, cloud, and all these other internet service providers that are providing infrastructure as a service, uh, AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, CenturyLink, here in the United States, and I'm, I, I know that there are there are hundreds, if not thousands, of these providers all over the world. And if we spent more of our time thinking about how to secure that service, how to um, make it more bulletproof, deny those people who um, uh, propagate denial of service attacks on our services, then I think I think we're in a much better place to uh, uh, to learn and to iterate and to try and fail faster uh, with our with our initiatives and and we short circuit that shadow IT if you will uh, right we become the advocates within the organization that say hey listen we can do it for you just as fast as you can go off and find it on your own and we can gain economies of scale by negotiating better contracts with those providers than you can as a small department or a division or an individual who's swiping your credit card. So I, I know I've taken you kind of on a, on a long roundabout journey, but you know I'm, I'm really concerned about uh, those IT professionals, those architects, those people that have those certificates on the wall that are beholden to their past um, that are not necessarily thinking about that triangle and moving up to be proactive in their in their analysis and resolution and to think about those complex systems of systems uh, you know we've got a lot of people that that they they know how to how to design and put servers in a rack well that's becoming a non-value add activity for most organizations. Yeah, yeah, you can deal with the security. You can hide behind that, and you can say, "Listen, I, I don't, I don't trust putting the stuff in the public cloud. I don't trust putting the stuff out there for an internet service provider who does infrastructure as a service, because I can't see my equipment. I can't touch it." I can't lock the door at night and go home and sleep say soundly. Well, those people that target and those people in the U.S. government that thought they were getting away with that, um, they can't sleep at night now any either. Um, I'm not saying that the public cloud solution is perfect, but what I'm saying is, is that you've got to you've got to rationalize uh, your risk aversion and um, y your 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 need to be a business enabler. I listened to Tommy Richardson, uh, the CTO that I that I report to. He he gave an interesting speech uh, about uh, his progression in his career, and um, you know he he went from startups uh, and uh, uh, you know now works at at Teradata as I do, uh, and was at it was at Siemens. Uh, and and he's seen a lot of the same types of things. And and what is he pounding the organization to do? He's he is he he is working very hard to make us responsive to the business needs, not just the business needs of today, but what the business is going to need to deliver its services, um, you know, efficiently and cost effectively, not just now, but for the next decade. 
uh, and, and into the future, you know, laying the groundwork for how things are, are going to change. So we're moving toward software as a service. Uh, we're moving toward microservices. We're moving toward uh, failure faster. Um, get the stuff out there. Figure out what it is that we need to do to make it bulletproof. Uh, understand those uh, those things that break, those things that need to be resolved uh, quickly and in an automated fashion in order to deliver a level of service that our, that our customers are expecting. And, and part of the problem is our own organization. Our, the, the, a, lot of the, a lot of the very skilled people um, you know, are fixated on the processes of yesterday uh, you know, th th there's this new sales order that's coming in for a big customer. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of revenue potential, and the knee-jerk reaction is to go out and buy more hardware. Um, and, and the amount of meetings and the amount of time that those people are going to spend picking out the right hardware that meets the service needs you know that is wasted effort. Uh, that is that is not value added for the organization in the long term. It is short term tactical. And yeah, I understand. Uh, you know that our that are that stock prices for companies are based on how they performed last quarter. Uh, but if you want to see uh, long term, uh, you know, viability in the space that you're in, the service that you're delivering to your customers, uh, you've got to stay a service-based, a service-focused organization uh, that, uh, you know, is willing to, um, you know, take the risks and move forward uh, in, 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 in how you deliver, uh, you know, your resources to uh, to both your your developers, the smart people that are thinking up uh, the things that the customer is going to need or want, uh, you're, you've got to be adaptive. You've got to be able to deliver the service faster. Uh, it is not enough to sit in a meeting and think about, okay, well we're going to get this hardware, and from the time that we start the process to the time that we stop, and the software and the hardware is all installed in our colo or in our data center is six months from now well that's a lot of business you left on the table isn't it there's a lot of things out there that that you could have addressed there's opportunity cost people forget about that they forget about operations flow within an organization uh this the the self-fulfilling and self-awareness that comes from success at delivering a service in a record time uh, that is uh, secure, that meets the needs of the customer. Well, if you don't start iterating rapidly, if you don't understand evolution, and you don't understand that, uh, you know those those uh, organisms that uh, redesign themselves or replicate themselves at a very high rate uh, are much more adaptive and much more capable of responding to to changes in their environment uh, you're gonna die off and it's just it it is Darwin at work 
you know, I don't know, and I, I, I'm not going to get into the greater um, social, political ramifications of evolution, uh, but, uh, you know, there are lessons to be learned here. Uh, and, and those who forget or who don't adapt, who don't have aggressive training plans for themselves, people who are not looking at, okay, this is how I used to do it and this is how I need to do it, uh, they are living on borrowed time. Uh, they, they, uh, they will pay the price at some point in the future uh, when somebody comes along and automates the tasks that, that they pride themselves on doing day to day. And this, you know, goes back to a period in, in my career that, that I changed careers like six or eight times over an 18-year period when I worked for Oracle. I was a business analyst. I was a business intelligence data warehouse consultant. I was a DBA. I became a, a software developer. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I learned and I, and I adapted and I kept the lessons learned from each of those iterations of my career. And... And I'm continuing to change and I'm continuing to challenge myself and I, and I challenge all of you um, to look at those things and say, how, how am I doing things the same today as I did 10 years ago or 5 years ago or 20 years ago and how should I be doing them differently to keep up with the evolution and the changes in the IT industry? Um, so this has been a long kind of stream of consciousness for me today. Uh, and I, and I want to wrap this up um, and give you the opportunity to, uh, to think about it, respond to me, send me your emails. Uh, I will have all of that information posted on the podcast site so you can, you can send me your questions. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to get into a regular cadence with these uh, streams of consciousness as I talk about a uh, variety of different topics. So I'm going to talk more in a future episode about uh, about public clouds. I'm going to talk more about security. I'm going to talk more about rapid provisioning. I'm going to talk more about um, keeping an eye on the data that drives your business and keeping an eye on the data that drives your IT organization. I'll talk more about metadata. I'll talk more about... Um, you know, kind of the future direction that I see the IT industry taking. And and we'll go from there. Uh, so step by step, uh, this is, you know, one of hopefully many. Um, again, my name is Niels Goldstein. Uh, you can reach me. My email is pretty easy. It's n-g-o-l-d-s-t-e at gmail.com, n-goldstee at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Niels Goldstein, my first name is spelled N-I-E-L-S, last name G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, submit your questions there or via ngoldstein at gmail.com. Uh, and I look forward to, uh, to uh, future endeavors with you and uh, uh, answering questions and, and providing uh, insight and, and guidance. So good luck out there. Good luck with the, uh, with the cloud, with the migration, with evolution. Uh, and, uh, you know, let's uh, fight back that shadow IT and, and put it where it belongs in a value-added proposition. So thank you very much. I appreciate your time today. Um, look forward to hearing from you and uh, talk with you later. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.